All right, so back for cutting room floor, and this is a multi-part <laughs> cutting room floor, um, specifically around the question of gender identity and how that intersects with the scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, three parts. Part one is going to be today more focused on posture and like vocabulary. Yeah, sure. Uh, part two is maybe what does the scripture have to say? Mm -hmm. And then part three is like, how does that relate to stereotypes talking about like yeah. how this stuff works out for sure. Something for like sure. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the basic flow of it. And this is all kind of in hindsight of as of this recording yesterday, we did an hour and a half, two hour kind of seminar on this yep. and just kind of having a space to maybe condense some of that. And just to, for people to listen in on kind of our conversation um, by way of summary, I guess from okay. some of that um, from yesterday. So, so you led a sermon, yes, or a sermon, a, mm. a seminar yesterday. Yeah, sort of creating space for people to talk about this. And you started with, kind of like, how do we, how do we even start this conversation? Sure. And then vocab. Yeah. Uh, maybe start there. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I started by talking about just kind of really briefly two dangers to avoid, kind of in this. One being like the culture warrior posture, where I'm just gonna rail against everything that's happening in the culture and kind of have this animosity of I'm going to be against, you know, this whole thing that's yeah. happening right now. And then the other posture to avoid was kind of this more like blind acceptance of, you know, this is, this is the cultural climate we're in and we're just going to, you know, agree with whatever's happening in our culture and not really think critically about, is this line up with scripture? Does this not? And how to nuance in that. And so I really just kind of started the time just thinking about those things. Like what is our posture uh, to be as Christians in this, not to be just completely against everything and not to also blindly accept everything, perhaps something, you know, in between that has nuance and compassion, thoughtfulness, truth, and a way of, you know, receptivity, hearing other people's stories, so on and so forth. So uh, I quoted a few people, uh, Mark Yarhouse and Preston Sprinkle, probably the two primary, I think, thinkers that kind of informed a lot of, you know, the material for the seminar. Uh, Yarhouse has this quote that he's fairly famous for. He says, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. Hmm. And what he's getting at there is that it's it's kind of very common in these conversations to just be, basically say, oh, all transgender people are X or the media portrays transgender people as X. And they kind of lump everyone together in a preconceived bucket or stereotype or whatever the case might be. And Yarhouse's point is simply that everyone's story within this conversation is unique and different. Not everyone that you meet who identifies as transgender fits that stereotype, perhaps from the media, both either on the right or the left. And he's really pushing, I think rightly so, just the ability for us as followers of Jesus to really listen well as a way of loving well mm -hmm. in this conversation, really hear people in their stories, the pain, the background, the confusion, the questions, all these sorts of things that you know, we would want for ourselves, if someone were to, you know, come to us and meet us and, you know, get to know us, we'd want them to hear our story and not yeah. just assume something about us. And I think the same thing is true, especially in a conversation like this, that is, you know, very controversial and volatile, even yeah. at times. Well, and it's something that as a culture, most of us don't practice all that mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And we don't see modeled all for that sure. well. So we see the extremes, we see the reactivity. And I think we're trying to figure out all right, so how do you do this? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think a helpful resource that I mentioned even as part of the seminar is Preston Sprinkle. He has his book, of course, but also as part of like a mini series within his own podcast, he interviewed four or five different people who identify as trans and or who are heavily connected with kind of the transgender community. And the series was just simply called The Diversity of Trans. 
And he basically for an hour each time just lets people tell their story. And a lot of these stories, at least when I listened to, really just kind of bucked all the stereotypes and just preconceived mm. notions of, you know, what it means for someone to identify as trans, whether they are Christian or non-Christian, whether they, you know, fully agree with what's happening in the culture or not. Yeah. It was just a very helpful way of really practically demonstrating this posture of listening well uh, in this. So I just would recommend that. You can, cool. you know, Google it or, or whatever for that. Um, and then I followed up with, I think this quote is really helpful from his book from Preston Sprinkle. He says, correct science and correct theology are pointless if we're not willing to love and to honor, to listen to and learn from, care for and be, and be cared for by the trans people God has gifted us with. Again, his point is simply that we would be people who honor others, listen well, um, and be people that also care for and also receive care from other people, even if you know, we might not agree with them on every single, you know, potential thing, especially in this conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's certainly in fitting with the way Jesus talked with people, but also just even the biblical principle that we are all human beings formed in the image yeah. of God. And because of that, we deserve dignity. For sure. We deserve respect. For sure. Uh, yeah. And part of the way we honor actually the biblical narrative is honor that we are made yeah. in some way in God's image. Exactly. Because of that, deserve a sense of honor and respect for sure whether we agree or disagree exactly 100 percent. i think that especially for you know someone like myself who loves theology and you know getting the truth right and all that sort of stuff the posture is so important yeah. to have that sense of compassion and listening and honor in this conversation and as a part of that uh vocabulary becomes extremely important because mm. you know regardless of per perhaps where you might be coming from in this conversation most people agree that some just catching up with some of the terminology can be a bit daunting and or confusing at times. And as a way of listening well, learning well, uh, I think it's important that we understand kind of a basic framework of how some of these words are being used uh, in the modern cultural conversation, how they intersect or don't intersect with biblical theology yeah. as it stands. It can be a little confusing. You mm -hmm. enter into the conversation, you say something wrong, and yeah. someone looks at you like, oh, I used the wrong word. Use the yeah. wrong word. And a lot of that isn't, at least in my own experience, often intentional, but sometimes no. just within our cultural climate, it might be perceived as, oh, you're, you know, not being sensitive or, or mm -hmm. whatever the case might be. And obviously we want to be as, you know, as Christians, as thoughtful and nuanced right. as possible with that. Um, we're not always going to get it right. So there's a ton no. of grace here as we talk about these vocab terms. It's not like you have to memorize everything here and get your wording right every single time. But I think it does help to at least put some effort it to learn. It is an expression of, of love mm -hmm. to be able to speak someone else's language. Exactly. Whether you agree with the language or not. Exactly. To be able to articulate it. Yeah. For that sure. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think so. Maybe just to start off this kind of section on, on vocab and, and terminology. One of the big, uh, the two big ones are the difference in definition between sex and gender. And so generally speaking in conversations like this, the term sex generally refers to the bodily biological reality of a person's sexual anatomy. Uh, it's more physical focus, it's more physical on the body, uh, kind of on your reproductive organs and or the chromosomes therein as far as one's biology is concerned, okay. male or female. Uh, so that's sex, that's how generally in these conversations that is, you know, that term is used. Which you is, gonna, were you going to, sorry, will you talk about intersex during this or will we just talk about that later? That was at least as part of the flow of this, okay. part of the later part okay. with its own separate section okay. uh, with but that. we will address It will that. address it as this kind of larger, broader okay. conversation. I, I didn't, at least yesterday, get to intersex okay. as its particular unit. But that vocab will come up later yes. if you're wondering and that For sure. topic will get addressed. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a helpful point as we are diving into this. Yeah. And so you have sex on one hand as a term and then the term that... Uh, is related to but is distinct in this conversation at least is the term gender 
Okay. Uh, and the way that we kind of talked about gender uh, yesterday was this idea that gender is generally in these conversations kind of three-ish components. How I experience and define myself as male or, fe or female, how I express my myself through actions, clothing, demeanor, so on and so forth. And then thirdly, cultural expectations for how men and women uh, should be should behave. Okay, so there's three levels then. Three levels to this, and that you know can get nuanced out into either gender identity, gender expression, gender fluidity, all these kind of mm -hmm. subterms you know therein. But kind of as a brick umbrella term, gender, the way simple way to think about it, if sex is more kind of the biology, the physical side of the conversation as far as male female goes, uh, gender is more of an internal. And I don't mean this in, a, in any like demeaning way, but a subjective, you know, how I feel or identify or express mm -hmm. myself, regardless in this conversation, whether that lines up or doesn't line up with my biology. So someone could uh, have a male sex, mm -hmm. but gender wise feel like a woman. Exactly. Yes. So that's sort of like the distinction someone would make yes. with this. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And so we talked about, too, kind of how in our cultural moment right now, some of the language that is used is that you have either sex assigned at birth on one hand. So that's, you know, looking at the reproductive organs, so on and so forth. And then gender identity or gender expression, which oftentimes in these uh, conversations, especially more broadly speaking in our culture, is something that is identified or expressed later on in life. Okay. And that may or may not, again, align with one's biological sex. Now, as I have this conversation right now, I'm not saying I agree with how these terms are being yeah. used. You're simply defining them, for defining us. them for us exactly as a way to, you know, more or less kind of equip ourselves to be able to have these conversations yeah. within the broader culture right yeah. now. So what you're saying is this is not necessarily how you would. Exactly. If you were to create a way to talk about this, this is not what you would necessarily exactly. say. Yeah. But you're saying this is how it's being talked about. Mm -hmm. and it's important for us to know these different distinctions and the way they're being used so that then we can say, well, from a biblical perspective, this is maybe what the scripture would say about that. Exactly. Yes. And so kind of more or less as we were t talking about and how I, you know, I'm currently thinking about this is that for most of human history, it seems to me that sex and gender, these two distinct terms now were more or less synonymous, you know, whether it's in the biblical narrative and or throughout just human yeah. history. Global history. Globally. Yeah. So this yeah. is just necessarily like a Christian, you know, claim or whatnot. Yeah. It seems to me throughout human history, broadly speaking, sex and gender were understood to be more or less synonymous. Obviously, gender can be expressed or that way that one expresses that gender, male or female, yeah. might look differently culture to culture. Totally. But still, biological age sex, to age, age to age, Epoch, yeah, 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 all that sort of yeah. stuff. But sex and gender, it seems to me, are meant to be seen as synonymous and have been seen as synonymous. Uh, Mark Yarhouse, in one of the, the quotes here, is quoted as saying that prior to the 1970s within America, that was how these terms were understood. And really, it's only within the past sort of half century-ish or so that these terms are kind of being separated now. Uh, and it's just, again, just part of the cultural climate we're in right now. And I think it's just, again, part of this conversation of understanding what we're, what we're talking about yeah. with this. Um, so that's sex and gender, kind of the other term that is related to this, and that's kind of the, the big sort of topic within this particular conversation is the term transgender. Okay. And even this term transgender is generally a big, broad umbrella term to understand just a variety of different ways people might identify as transgender. So we talked about how there are people who have been clinically diagnosed with gender dysphoria, according to the DSM. Yeah. And generally, people like that would identify as transgender. But then there's also people who haven't clinically been diagnosed with gender dysphoria 
but they still might identify as transgender. Yeah. And then another part, a layer to this distinction, is that just because someone identifies as transgender does not mean that they have physically transitioned to the opposite biological sex and or have even started perhaps you know hormone therapy or cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers or anything like that that would physically alter something within their body. They might just be identifying as transgender as a way of more or less personally identifying with you know a particular gender but not necessarily that they've taken any physical action on their own body. So there's, again, a few layers to... Yeah, there's a few layers there. Yeah. Are you going to unpack those a little bit? Totally. I feel like you went through that... You went through, like, sex and gender pretty slow, and then totally. you just, like... Yes, really totally. Great. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just giving a broad brush okay. of kind of the different layers uh, to this. So if we were to start, just, again, very basically, uh, someone... Transgender is a big umbrella term yep. for a variety of different uh, people or, okay. or ways that people might identify. Yeah. And not everyone who identifies transgender is saying the same thing as they identify as transgender. Okay, so someone, let's say, you know, use the phrase transgender community mm -hmm. is a diverse community. Is a diverse community. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So tell me again, the buckets of like people that might. Identify. Yes. And this is not necessarily exhaustive, but kind of yeah, broadly, broadly just speaking, someone who maybe doesn't, isn't familiar a sense of like, Oh, this is some examples yes, of the diversity. Within exactly. That community. So you might have someone who identifies as trans who has clinically been diagnosed according to the DSM, which is you know kind of an official document for therapists, psychologists, yeah. so on and so, so forth. The DSM five. DSM five, the most recent one. Yeah. Uh, they might identify as trans, and they've been clinically diagnosed as someone who struggles with gender dysphoria. Okay, so can you? Yeah, well, yeah, gender dysphoria. Yeah, yeah. Of gender, so there's like in the DSM, right? There's criteria mm -hmm. for any diagnosis. Exactly. So gender dysphoria. Yeah, gender dysphoria. Generally speaking, for adolescents and adults, there's a set list of criteria that's mm -hmm. outlined within the DSM. Correct. And you have to meet at least, I think, two out of the six over a six-month period to be officially diagnosed. So that's one bucket. Someone could be officially diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Yeah, and that would be like by a therapist or a yes. psychologist or someone saying, okay, let's... Let's diagnose <clears throat> yeah. you with this. And then, you know, treatment might, you know, yeah. or Doflin does proceed from that. Okay. A lot of people, though, at least even my own experience anecdotally, have not been clinically diagnosed with gender dysphoria, okay. but still would identify as trans. Okay. And they would, you know, for a variety of reasons, whether it's something in their past or just with their own, you know, current moment or experience, would say that I, I don't feel like I am, you know, biologically male and therefore I don't want to identify as my gender as male, I identify my gender as female or perhaps, you know, a variety of different kinds of genders or, or whatever the case yeah. might be. So that person might not have a diagnosis by a psychologist, therapist, mm -hmm. whomever, but they, on their birth certificate, it says male. Yes. And they are 15 and they think, actually, I identify as a female. Exactly, yes. Okay. Or even like some combination of, either, of both. Yeah. Or, you know, if you really get kind of into the weeds of the different terms, there's other terms that, you know, for other kinds of genders out there. Okay. So it's, again, it's an umbrella term to kind yeah. of encapsulate this broad way of people might identify okay. again that community is diverse again yeah. back to the yard house quote we mentioned if you've met one transgender person you've met one transgender yeah. person okay i think that's important to thanks for unpacking yeah to know yeah to to kind of understand that uh and layer out which again is different from someone who again might identify as transgender who has actually gone through either cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers and or even surgery mm -hmm. to alter kind of their own physical body to match their desired gender. So someone might take a hormone. Mm -hmm. They say, my anatomy is male, but I feel female. Yeah. I want to take some sort of hormone that's going to change my like testosterone yes. or estrogen levels yes. so that I, what is that? 
I don't know. How yeah. Do so like, you do like, so say, you know, if you're, you know, a biological female and you begin taking testosterone, yeah. that will eventually do something over time to your body where yeah. you'll generally speaking, gain more, what would often be considered male characteristics, yeah. whether that's, you know, a deeper voice or, or you facial, know, hair. facial hair, things along okay. those lines. Yeah. And when we talk about, you know, someone identifying as, as transgender, it's important to make the distinction that not everyone who identifies as transgender has necessarily done those steps. So someone could identify without having taken hormones exactly. or had a physical surgery. Yes. So then there's people that maybe identify as trans, but they've done these steps. Mm -hmm. So maybe their appearance looks a little different. Yes. So there's like what you're saying is, okay, so there's, you could be at lots of stages in this yes. personal journey. You could like, so there's, there's again, right? There's diversity. There's within diversity the within this, a hundred percent. I think that's what's really important. What we're trying to what, I'm, what we're trying to discuss with this term, this one term, yeah. transgender. Okay. A lot of diversity within that one term. Uh, so, kind of this, the caution would be: don't just assume something about someone if they identify as trans or transgender. Okay, would be kind of the takeaway with that. Yep. Um, and we've kind of mentioned this uh, already: gender dysphoria. Again, that's kind of one of the big terms within yep. that umbrella. Again, it's a it's an official diagnosis within the DSM five. There's you, yeah. know, you can Google the actual criteria for that. Um, kind of a subset of this that I think is actually really important. Another term we we talked about that I think is important to recognize is something called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And what this uh, kind of term ROGD is kind of the abbreviation for that was a, a term coined by uh, someone named Dr. Lisa Littman at a Brown University. And basically, she was making the, the asking the question based on some observations as that why why over the say the last 10 to 15 years has there been this sudden increase especially with biological females identifying as trans or transgender this almost kind of out of nowhere uptick in young adolescent girls identifying as trans and so she kind of went through kind of the work did some studies uh, talked with the Tavistock Center in the UK one of the main gender clinics in the UK in 2009, only 51 adolescents identified uh, or struggled with gender dysphoria, according to that gender clinic. By 2016, 1,766 adolescents, mostly female. By 2019, 2,364 adolescents. So within a 10-year period, you have a 5,000% increase of young adolescents, 83% of them female, saying they identify as trans and or struggling with gender dysphoria. And so Lisa Littman kind of, you know, does some studies, talks with the parents, so on and so forth, and coins this term rapid onset gender dysphoria, uh, basically making the case that, especially among young adolescents, it seems to be that there's, uh, and again, this, this terminology is the, their terminology, it's not necessarily my favorite way of, of saying is this, this. Is this a secular researcher? Yes, secular researcher, not a Christian. Uh, yeah. You know, you read her work. Uh, it was popularized in a, in a book called uh, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. Again, she, even herself doesn't identify as a Christian. So this is all from a secular perspective, yep. at least outside the church. And kind of the basic kind of takeaway from this is that especially among young adolescent girls with the advent of social media, Tumblr, uh, Instagram, that there is this more or less what we might consider something like social peer pressure or the official language within the, the studies was a social peer contagion where the more that young people see what their peers are doing, the more likely they are to just kind of jump on board with that sort of thing. Hmm. So there was parallels with even like eating disorders where there has been like, an, well, there was often up, sudden uptick in young females with anorexia based on if they are with peers that have already struggled with that, you know, sort of disorder or hmm. whatnot. And so kind of the research here with rapid onset gender dysphoria is just simply kind of raising an awareness that 
perhaps something more is going on than just someone only struggling with sort of their gender or their gender identity. That there, perhaps there's this social kind of peer pressure that's happening in our cultural moment right now, especially with social media and YouTube videos and Instagram, so on and so forth. Again, this isn't everyone's story. Again, back to the Yard House quote, you met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. But it's part of, I think, the, the necessary understanding of some of the vocabulary in this conversation. Uh, that rapid onset gender dysphoria is a way of talking about, especially among adolescents and especially among females, this very sudden rise in these young female adolescents identifying as trans. Um, more than likely, according to Dr. Lisa Littman, is something different than perhaps gender dysphoria as defined by the DSM. That makes there's something else going on here okay. uh, with some of that. Um, so that's just one of the other terms that uh, we, we discussed. Uh, kind of kind of rounding this out here was another term that I don't necessarily like the language for, but I was trying to differentiate between, you know, the, kind of the average person who identifies as trans and what I would call transgender activism. Hmm. And this is sort of kind of this full-on worldview of deconstructing almost everything that has to do with any sort of tradition. And this conversation, that's kind of male, female, you know, the binary there, those relationships, gender roles, those sorts of things. So maybe there's like different different ways that people respond to their experience. Yes. So some people, it's like, hey, this is my journey. I'm trying to figure it out. Yes. And then other people are like, man, there's a super oppressive system out there yes. and we want to attack it. Attack it, yeah. And this often is kind of, you know, manifests itself. It's very political. It's very ideological. Um, I had some quotes just kind of within kind of a few resources kind of talking about this. Okay. Uh, one from a book, The Transgeneration, the writer writes, the socially constructed heterosexual cisgender, so let's be non-trans, yeah. nuclear family is a key ideological building block of white supremacist, colonial capitalist, heteropatriarchal societies such as Canada and the U.S. So it's a lot of loaded terms so even within that. So basically, like, if you believe in a nuclear family mm -hmm. with a husband and a wife and kids that you are somehow participating in this very oppressive colonial white supremacist yes. system system Which, yes oh assumedly like most people don't agree with that yes. but like there is a fringe component there is a, a component of this conversation yeah. that is kind of more or less there's a whole other worldview behind this not yeah. just the trans kind of piece yeah um and i think what i the, the, the reason for bringing this up is that, again, this is anecdotally, I think even based on the conversation we had yesterday, most people that, that I know and that people in the seminar knew that identify as trans aren't trying to be politically hostile yeah. in this sort of moment. They're just simply trying to live their lives. Yeah. And they're looking for a community and belonging and friendship, so yeah. on and so forth. And again, this kind of gets back at don't just stereotype or broad brush and think that just because someone identifies as trans that there's this whole sort of ideological worldview mm. that they're coming with at the same time. Yeah. So you're trying to basically help us see that there are some people that maybe carry this and maybe you encounter them totally. on yeah. Instagram totally. or social media, yes. but that most people that would self-identify yes. as trans aren't carrying this massive ideological hammer. Yes, totally, yes. And I'm sure, you know, there's probably things as a Christian that I might disagree with and, and do disagree sure. with, but it doesn't. it's generally not coming from, at least in my own experience, anecdotally, yeah. with this, like, this animosity or hostility yeah. toward all things, you know, nuclear family, you know, male, female, those sorts of things. Um, and I think that was just a, an important piece of this conversation, or is an important piece of this conversation, because... Again, this is all under the umbrella of posture, terminology being a part of that, and being able to have 
you know, some clarity on some of the differentiation there and seeing the diversity even within what it means to identify as transgender is really helpful, I think, uh, to be able to think clearly about this. So, you know, that was more or less kind of the broad terms that we discussed on that in the handout that we passed out. There was some even more definitions in there as far as some more details with that. Um, But it seems to me these are some like the big ones to kind of get some handholds on to help the conversation. Super helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Cool.